I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Hi, Amy. Hi, Lisa. I'm so very excited about our conversation today and our wonderful guest. I've been thinking about this all week. I know, me too. I've been thinking about it and so many things are coming up that are surprising. Okay, so let's share with our listeners why we're having the conversation that we're about to have. Um, A few episodes ago, we invited a really special guest to our program, Um, one of the top pro snowboarders in the world turned illustrious yoga teacher and yoga professional, Katie Brower, and we had such a wonderful conversation with her. And then she so very generously invited you and I to speak on her upcoming, which is I think our second annual Yoga Professional Summit. And so this is like a, a big online summit of leaders and teachers and thought leaders who speak and are interviewed by her to share their wisdom and knowledge with others. And you and I have signed up for many online summits throughout the years. And I know we've both learned a lot from them. And when she invited us to this summit, which is coming up on February 18th, so we'll revisit that and uh, make sure everybody signs up to watch. You and I were, of course, excited. Totally. And very honored and very grateful. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Other more uncomfortable emotions rose. So... Yes. Why don't don't you... um, Why don't you speak to, you know, your process and what came up for you during that couple of weeks and then... um, and then I will do the same. (laughs) (laughs) So having Katie on the podcast, first of all, was just absolutely a dream. She is, she's an amazing speaker and professional and just somebody that I really admire and emulate. And so just being able to speak to her on the podcast was awesome. And then she so graciously extended this invitation to you and I, and you and I separately. So not Mm -hmm. even as a pair, you know, we would each speak to our own strengths and offerings and which I was just absolutely blown away and super excited and very grateful. And then I wanted to go get in my closet and shut the door and hide under a big pile of laundry because, (laughs) oh my God, then I would be on Katie Brower's summit Mm -hmm. that I started to freak out. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's, an impeccable professional. And I received, I began to receive some correspondence with her about the summit. And I was trying to be very diligent about sending everything back and being very professional myself and looking for a headshot that I, I wouldn't cringe when she posted it. And then I didn't hear anything for a long time. And I was like, well, okay, um, 
maybe she's busy. And then I spoke with you and you said so excitedly, well, I just recorded my thing with Katie today and it went great. And you were saying what a great experience it was. And you were like, when are you doing yours? And I was like, oh, well, (laughs) she never got back with me. So maybe, of course, she doesn't want me. And that was my go-to. I know. Mm. My go-to idea was because I then didn't hear from her anymore. Of course, I thought she had changed her mind and she had found out really that I wasn't (laughs) summit worthy and, (laughs) you know, um, just not, I wasn't good enough. And that was, that was obviously the answer to why I had not heard back from Katie. (laughs) And so I felt a little sorry for myself. And then, um, and then just like, was it that day or the next day you received an email from her that said that she was having difficulty getting in touch with me? And Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, she, maybe she does want me. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it had turned out that her emails had been going to my spam folder in my Mm -hmm. email. And of course, instead of first looking there, Mm -hmm. I immediately came to the conclusion that she didn't want me, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't worthy. And that of course she had changed her mind and just kind of, you know, decided that she didn't want me on there instead of there being any other possible reason why I hadn't heard from her in the universe like Mm -hmm. technology or email spam folders or all those things. So it was just that revisiting that pattern or idea. My first go-to idea is, oh, but they wouldn't want me Mm -hmm. or, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sure they want somebody else. And that's such a ingrained knee jerk reaction that, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, but it was so interesting that it once again played out in in this world where I thought I had worked on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I had worked on this and and that doesn't need to be my first response, but yet here it is again showing up. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, the opportunity really triggered our own special brands of not being good enough. And as I'm listening to you, and I'm sure as others are listening to you, what do we immediately go to if we don't hear back when we send somebody a text or an email? Like one of the thoughts that we go to is, oh, have I have I somehow done something wrong? You know, we, we do. We, we do make it about ourselves and the fact that we are somehow bad in some way. And so I think a lot of people can relate with what you're talking about. And thank you for sharing that that is what came up for you. Yes, we definitely were dealing with this um, whole spectrum of not being good enough within this process, <laughs> mixed with our excitement and mixed with our gratitude. Um, for me, yes, there was that initial excitement. And you and I reached out to one another, just very grateful for the opportunity to share And then I did go into like my familiar one is just not not performing well enough, like not being able to step up to the task, somehow not being able to meet expectations. And I'm not even sure what those expectations are. Like what I have come present to that's deeply ingrained in me is just kind of 
um, doing well, whatever that means, because that was when I received, you know, attention and love at one point in time. And, you know, I would just love to let that story go. And maybe after this discussion with our wonderful guest, who is such a knowledgeable psychotherapist, I will just finally let this story go after sharing it. But then for me, um, Katie and I did the interview and a few things happened at the beginning of the interview where the Wi-Fi wasn't strong enough and I had to move my computer around and I had kind of gotten everything in the way that made me feel comfortable in preparation for the interview so that I could offer from like an authentic place so that I could offer in a way that would be most helpful. But then all of these unexpected technological issues came up and that threw me. And I could tell as she was interviewing me and we were having our discussion, you are right, she is an impeccable professional. And while it was a wonderful conversation, I had that sense that I was just a little bit outside of myself and I could feel a sense of being self-conscious in my body. And it was one of my teachers, Rod Stryker, who taught me this lesson that I'll never forget, that in the moments when we're feeling self-conscious, that's when we are not connected to self because our true self cannot be sort of, you know, conscious of itself or embarrassed or feeling not worthy. If we're feeling somehow not worthy or not good, then that is a clue that we are disconnected from true nature. So I had that sense and I felt distracted by attempting to draw myself back into, um, you know, more of an authentic place. Like I could feel myself trying. We've talked about this on the show before. And when I feel myself trying, I know that I am trying to live up to some like impossible to reach ideal that is just somewhere in my psyche. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So we did that first conversation. And I mean, I was, I was proud of myself for doing it because I was nervous. And anytime I get to the end of something that I'm nervous about, but I do it anyway, I just feel like we all get a little bit stronger in this moment, those moments. So I was proud of myself, but I had this sort of lingering feeling like I just wasn't like in, in me, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in that, in my power. Like I, I was trying. So I was a little bit aside from that. And so I emailed her and I said, you know, I, I feel so grateful. I know the conversation was had a lot of beauty in it. However, I have that sort of day after feeling and I wish I had another opportunity. And she was so generous once again, made it so easy for me because she's been interviewed many times in her career. And there has actually been a time where she asked for a re-record and she was open about that with me and she was vulnerable in that way so it gave me permission to ask for another record and we did and I was happy that I did because even asking to do it again felt uncomfortable because I felt like I was letting her down like I wasn't being a pro like I was taking up more of her precious time which again, comes from that one down place, right? Of just not living up to these perceived expectations that I have of myself and I think other people have of me too. So 
the moral of the story is I'm glad that I asked for a re-record because I felt so much better and I needed that practice run and I did. And that's just what I needed and that's okay. And I did feel more connected so that ultimately the goal was, you know, I, I could share from a place of hopefully being useful. So happy endings both, but it definitely brought up, as you say, these stories that, gosh, me too. Like I thought, I thought that I had worked through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to help us work through this um, is a, a wonderful friend of both of ours. She is an embodied psychotherapy and she leads these incredible transformational group experiences for women as part of a modality that she created called Gather Her, where women come together and remember who they are under her wonderful, compassionate, kind, wise guidance. It is Jody Cron. Welcome back, Jody. Hi. Hi, Jody. Here. Hi, Amy. Lisa. So you've been listening to us um, share what triggered our own special brands of not being enough. Can you shed some light for all of us on what exactly is being triggered when we want to run and hide in the face of opportunity? Okay. Well, uh, first, yes, I would like to just say to both of you, um, just, you know, listening into your conversation, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I just love both of you and I love <laughs> that you can just have such honest conversations with each other because I feel like for all of your listeners listening in on this conversation, we're all just kind of like, Oh, me too. And, you know, gosh, we're all just so human here having these, these feelings that, you know, we don't always, uh, feel like we can tell anyone or we don't want to admit because we're embarrassed. And and so I, I just want to acknowledge that just having the conversation that you're having together to me is already part of the antidote or the medicine, which is that you're connecting with each other on an authentic level. And, you know, I can hear the compassion in both of your voices as you're you know, hearing the other person and, and recognizing like, yeah, I, I feel that way too. You know, why, why do we go there? It's so silly. Um, so uh, that's the first thing I want to say is that, you know, beautiful. And, and I hope we can just keep having these conversations together to normalize this and, um, you know, connect with each other on that deeper level so that we can, you know, hopefully then, as you said, Lisa, connect back to ourselves with that same compassion. So that, that's the first thing I want to say. But to be more to your point, Lisa, to answer your question, you know, there's different approaches you could take here. But really what, what's coming to me as I hear both of you speak, because I know you both as very mature women who've worked on yourselves and, you know, just have so much love for each other and, and for your families and, and your work. So... Uh, when I hear your specific stories, I can't help but think these are younger parts of yourselves. These, and I, you can tell me if that feels true or not, but, but I, I think what I would invite both of you to do is kind of go back to those places where you both have, you know, shared those feelings of like, 
oh yeah, I knew it. You know, I'm, I'm not some summit worthy or, you know, or whatever it was that was coming up for you. If you, if you can go back to that moment, I'm just, I'm curious, you know, if you could feel into maybe how old you felt in that moment, if you were being really honest and, and, you know, see if you can even identify the age, because my hunch here is that these are probably younger parts of yourself that are, are being activated in these moments. I totally can feel that. And I can even identify like my age when I started to feel this way. I was 14 when I started to feel this shift of not being okay. Like before I I thought I was okay. Like I thought I was like everyone else. I was just happy go lucky kid. Somewhere around 13 or 14, it was that transition to high school. I tried out for cheerleading. In junior high, I was a cheerleader and I went to a Montessori school. So it was very small. And like every girl in the junior high was on the cheerleading squad because we didn't have, that's how many girls we had. (laughs) So everyone made the squad. So then when I went to high school, I thought, oh, I'll try out for cheerleading. You know, I'm a cheerleader. I could be a cheerleader. And it was so like rigged. (laughs) Like, but I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that going into this new school and it was a much bigger school that was fed by multiple junior highs. And I was super excited. And I, and in my mind, like I was going to make cheerleading. Like I just knew it. I tried out. I thought I did pretty good. But as I was like watching the tryouts go on and on and on, I could see the big sisters of the girls that were trying out in my grade. I started to get this idea like, oh, like they have something I don't have, whether they have an in or they've been coached or they know people or they knew what to wear. I just showed up as myself uninitiated and tried out. And then I went home and, and they were going to call you if you made the squad. The phone was going to ring. So I just remember that feeling in my body, like waiting all day, like for the phone to ring and like every second waiting and waiting and waiting and of course, you can imagine how this story ends. I didn't make the squad. And just this feeling like of washing over me of like, I'm not the same as them, or I'm different than them, or I'm not enough. Like there became this real shift in my mind of like, those girls were better than me. And they were good enough. And I wasn't good enough. That was a very strong story for me throughout my high school years, as I'm sure like any girl could relate to in high school. Mm -hmm. High school's brutal. Mm -hmm. The emotional roller coaster of that day and how that began to narrate this story of not being good enough in that environment. So Lisa, I don't know if you want to go ahead and share, you know, what what you know that that younger piece of yourself or if you want me just to work a little bit with Amy here why don't you respond to that first and then yeah the a younger I I was very surprised when you said to go back what vision came to me of a time in my life and it was pretty much the same age as Amy so please speak to Amy and and then yeah I'll get my turn on the couch (laughs) (laughs) okay well um, i'm sure for anybody listening to this you know yes if you went to junior high uh, or high school you know 
um, yeah, these these events are are pretty common. Whether it was cheerleading or math club or whatever, it, um, these these we we do live in a culture that that is set up in this way for competition, and that just lends itself to comparison. Amy, you were really honest, you know, and you're sharing there that 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 little 14 year old comparing herself to these big sisters and you know, making meaning of this event. Would this mean if I if I if I don't get accepted? I heard you do something that is is also pretty human. Um, but I do want to point it out because you know that's why you asked me to come on today. You, you <laughs> mentioned um, you said something like you know this you had this feeling of just unworthiness or you know this this feeling washed over your body, uh, you know, when the phone didn't ring. And I hear that, and I think we can all relate to that. But what I want to point out is just the importance of understanding that originated with a thought. Mm. In this case, this is true because, of course, as women, it's really important that we trust our feelings and listen to our feelings. But it's also important to identify where the feeling might be coming from, which in this case is a story that that the 14-year-old girl had about what it would mean if she made the squad and what it would mean if she didn't make the squad, which, you know, sounds like the meaning she made was, I'm not as good as these other girls, you know, fill in the blanks, right? We, we would all, and, and then that created this body feeling. We know that our body is listening to our brain. We're all our, our cells are listening. And then the body, it holds this as a, as a memory moving forward in life other things happen as we get older that and even though we mature and and we sort of know better in our minds there there can be this real body memory of shame and and not making the cut so um coming back to this idea of working with maybe a younger part in ourself i uh, i'm borrowing here from a beautiful uh modality called internal family systems that richard schwartz kind of formed from being a family systems therapist. And he discovered that, you know, all these roles and parts in family systems, actually, we all have them inside of us. This is really useful, I think, especially as adults to recognize we have younger parts in us, meaning um, these events that happen to us as, as little people, as teenagers, where we, yes, made these stories in our minds about the meaning or somebody, you know, said something really hurtful or did something to us or ignored us or whatever. These, these younger parts of us, they're wounded. They, they didn't get what they needed. And so it's almost like they stay in there because they're not healed. So they can't fully integrate into our growing, maturing adult self. I'm I'm actually curious, Amy, as you remember this day, this this event of cheerleading, and you connect with that 14-year-old, as you were talking about her, what did that feel like for you? I have so much empathy for her. You know, yeah. I just I I think it set me on a a a different path in high school than I would have than I would have had. And it changed it changed a lot for me, you know, it changed what I thought and, and not like just, not just becoming a cheerleader, but where I belonged in the system and then really having to kind of recreate myself at at such a young, like immature age, that takes a lot of 
tools that I don't think I had. When I look back, I just, oh my God, I just want to like wrap her up and just love her and tell her that she is good enough and that she is worthy and okay. Like I didn't feel okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was okay or normal or that I belonged and not just because like I didn't make cheerleading but because I didn't belong to really any kind of group in high school and so I really started to identify in high school with the misfits and was proud of that we kind of became this band of merry misfits (laughs) but I have a lot of fond memories about them and and that time of my life but it was a definite shift of who I thought I was, who I thought I was going to be. And then kind of in this unchartered, turbulent water of trying to find an anchor somewhere that I could hang on to. It was hard. That was really hard. That was, that that sucked. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And we need to remember this when we're interacting with teenagers. It's not really that much different it's it's still it's 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 a bridge that has to be crossed from childhood to to adulthood that that can be very challenging but just you know I'm wondering if you're noticing and if for those of you who are listening can notice where Amy's going so so when she connected Amy when you connected to that empathy you know I I could sort of feel that you know I think we all could just you know hand on the heart like oh you know sweetie that you know that little 14 year old that that started to pick up all these beliefs about herself but as you followed that can you see how that took you that that empathy for yourself kind of took you into remembering some of the the other sides of that connecting with these misfits and kind of almost brings you back online it brings you back into connection with yourself feeling this empathy for the 14 year old which then you know as because you're a grown-up now you can look back with this perspective you know like yes I see how this was so hard for her but I also see how she began to recreate herself and connect with these misfits. And I'm sure if you've kept following that thread, that probably has a lot to do with the work that you're doing now and the way that you parent your own children and the kind of friend you are. I can totally feel all of that. Being 14, I couldn't see it with perspective, obviously, because I was in it. Um, but definitely looking back, I can I can watch the trajectory of my life and see how all of these events have shaped my life and like you said the work i do and the the way i interact with people and i still i and definitely still you know when you said you carry that part of you oh my god like i i mean she's right up there right front and center like okay you're okay you're okay you know like you belong you you know you're good enough you you know you're strong and so yeah, I, I feel that it's very palpable for me. Beautiful. And you know, you had a happy ending to this story, but I would say that yes, probably until that 14 year old is is healed and, and, and knows it's safe to come home to you, 
you may have another opportunity to do some of this work. Let's say that you maybe that you hadn't been contacted and you weren't going to be in the summit. We were talking then. What I would have you do is just you know to continue to sit there with your hand on your heart and 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 continue to connect with her. Take that time to really listen to her. You were kind of going there a little bit, but you know, really making a space where the fourteen-year-old could have a voice, where you know she could share more of what these these deeper beliefs that turned into you know really uncomfortable feelings for her, and you know, but ultimately, and referring back to internal family systems, it's really this beautiful idea that we ourself, capital S, becomes the leader of these parts. That, and the way I like to look at it is that this is really about remothering. You know, uh, my healthy self can now take the 14-year-old and just like you said, wrap her up in a blanket of empathy and hold her in my arms and tell her the things that she needs to know, mainly that she can trust me now. That, that, you know, in my adult self, I'm not going to put her, I'm not going to put myself maybe in situations where, um, you know, I, I'm, that aren't safe or, or where there's a lot of comparison and competition and, and um, you know, so it's this idea that these younger parts will begin to trust us, that, that we are not, no longer going to exile them or push them away or be embarrassed of them, but we're actually going to you know, listen to them. And then these circumstances like not getting chosen or whatever it is, they, we start seeing them as gifts because they give us that opportunity to notice that there's still places in us that need attention. Yeah, it was really, it was very surprising to me that that was my first thought when I wasn't hearing back from Katie, like, oh, she doesn't, like, I haven't felt like that in a long time. And then it was back, this feeling of not being good enough. And I was, and it felt familiar. It felt like, oh, I thought we had worked on this. (laughs) But yet here it is again. And it was, I found it very interesting, not to say it didn't, I, I wasn't in the muck, in the mire of, of believing it because I was, I was believing all the things to think like, I'm going to, I'm almost 50 and I'm still feeling this, this thing come back up again was very, was very interesting. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this is a life journey. These things we work (laughs) on, you know, that's why I like to see life in a spiral where, you know, we come around again and we come around again, but Mm. in a spiral, you're always in a different place. You're, you're, you're moving and you're growing, but just acknowledging how complex we are. And, um, you know, there are many, many layers. Uh, and I think as, as we become more stable and secure in our lives, these p- parts and pieces of us feel safer to come up for recognition and, and ultimately for healing. Mm. So I have something to look forward to again, I guess. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I think that's a Byron. I think that's a Byron Katieism to mm-hmm. where we can get to the point where we can actually say, "I look forward to the next time I'm rejected, <laughs> so that I can continue to find those places in myself that that need attention." I got so much from listening to both of you, Amy. I hadn't heard that story before. Thank you for sharing and. Jody, so much good 
stuff, so many wonderful ideas for you know, practical, accessible ways that we can turn to ourselves when we get hit by our own brand of not good enough. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Lisa? Yeah, when you asked to, um, you know, touch into what you were reminded of, I was, again, really surprised with what came up, what scene came up. Same age as Amy, uh, like the 12, 13 age range. And when I was younger, so in my childhood, I got a lot, well, when I got loved and appreciated to me was when I was excelling at sports yeah, specifically sports. And figure skating and baseball were the two things that I was introduced to that I took to and that there was family engagement in my performance in those two sports. And then as I grew up, this idea that I was just so naturally good specifically at being a catcher and being a heavy hitter on the baseball field. So those two things, my talent as a catcher and being able to um, just take a big swing and hit home runs, those were very tied to receiving love. At other times, I it's my memory that I really didn't, in fact, kind of opposite. And then came a time where I wasn't hitting the ball anymore. I remember feeling just so incredibly unworthy that I just couldn't seem to hit the ball. Of course, now I look back and I see how tied my worth was to how I was performing. And then I couldn't catch the ball as well. And our team was in the this big competition, in these big finals. It was this big final tournament. And I was replaced as the catcher for the final game. And we were playing the other best team in our division. So I had to go out and play center field, which was not by position. And it, you know, it's kind of like a movie to me now where it's the last inning and the bases are loaded and we're up by one point, but it's there at bat. And I'm out in center field and their heavy hitter who doesn't seem to miss a pitch is on base and I had previously missed a grounder that came out to me that allowed this other team to have bases loaded and the response from the parent section was visceral they're yelling at me and yelling at my at the parent who was coaching (laughs) to take me out And then, and I just remember standing out there in the middle of the field, like just wanting to disappear into the grass because I had failed in, in such a complete way. Like my whole body right now is feeling just like it felt then, like totally trembly. Um, I could not have felt worse. I just wanted to die. I wanted to hide. I didn't want to be there anymore, anywhere, but there as these parents are shouting and their heavy hitter is up there and he, and she's pointing out to me. So she's going to hit out to me because I'm the one that's not catching the balls now. And so last at bats hit comes right to me and I do catch it 
And I just fell to the ground and started like bawling, which really as this belief of mine ended up creating panic attacks, like that really felt like the first one. You know, there was just so much panic. My adrenaline was so up. I was just fully in fight or flight. Somehow managed to catch that ball, fell on the floor. I just fell on the ground just just in tears, but got so much, of course, positive feedback when I did catch the ball. Like it was one of those hero moments. However, what I had internalized is how when I didn't catch the ball, how much visceral anger came my way at my very worth that I had to be taken out. And so I know how much I internalize that doing well equates being seen and being loved and, and being safe and comfortable. And then not doing well is very unsafe. And that has played out over and over again when I have perceived myself making mistakes in my work or in my relationships or saying the wrong thing, I just immediately want to be swallowed up by the earth, never to have been seen again. And I have lots of memories like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when I, when I didn't feel that I did well in my first interview, I could feel that it wasn't like it used to be, but I could feel that I had let her down yeah, and that I was trying to be good like and um so I was proud of myself for asking to do it again and for doing it again that that did that felt like my big victory to not just hide and then like never listen (laughs) and just Mm -hmm. pretend that I was never asked because I've I hid from a lot of opportunities which is one of the things that I talk about in that interview I do talk about how this wanting so badly to be good all of the time and never being able to live up to how good I thought I needed to be like, no one can hit a fucking home run every day. Mm -hmm. And, but just wanting to be that good, like that shredded my nervous system. And that is what I believe um, disordered anxiety for me and regular panic attacks was all about. It's just, it was just exhausting to Mm -hmm. try to live up to that and never, and never having the feedback that I didn't have to. Like, I don't remember anyone ever saying I didn't have to live up to that. And in fact, then I went into radio where you're being, you know, your program director is telling you all the ways in which you suck and all the things that you need to do to be better. So I just feel Mm -hmm. like I've been confronting this wanting to please and wanting to be good and wanting to perform at this high level over and over again and realizing that, you know, I just can't. But just like Amy said, and you said to her, I can recognize that that's never going to completely go away. Like I am still faced with it every day. And so, you know, you've already shared with Amy the practices that I can do. And I feel now that I've really isolated like that moment where I felt it the most. I mean, I feel like I can see myself in my uniform. I think I even have a picture of myself from that day. I feel like we're all standing on that field right now, Lisa. <laughs> That's it's quite a visual for me. And so actually, I just I'm, you know, I, I do have a few things I would like to to offer here. But, you know, could you could you just put your hand on your heart and just go, 
maybe just we'll stand with that little that little girl who just wants to be swallowed up by the earth. I mean, you maybe you've done this before, but I'm I'm just gonna invite you just in this moment, if you could just go put your arms around her and and maybe even today tell her what it is she she really needed to hear then. Yeah, I'm gonna have and, to spend some time with her. You know, I think we're all you know so that was quite a a story, Lisa, and and that it's. I think we, you know, I can certainly feel that in my body, and and yes, we've all had those moments of of. Um, this visceral shame of, of people's anger coming at us and, and that feeling of being a disappointment and, and goodness, the pressure that you must have felt, you know, in that, like you said, it's like a movie moment. And um, a couple of things I'd like to put out here in, in how we come to these places of empathy for ourselves is first, let's acknowledge these systems that we all grew up in that would put a child in this position. And I did my share in the hockey rink as a hockey mom. And with horror, I would listen to these parents and the, and their own unhealed parts coming up. And then, you know, projecting that out onto their children who are children who are, you know, we're not in the Olympics here. We're, these are children. And, and the, the, pressure that that we can impose on them to perform and to get it right and to do it for the team and you know whatever or or cheerleading would be another example of that it's it's really recognizing these systems that we've all grown up in that are you know systemically rooted in the patriarchal ideas around competition and one-upping and having to be perfect I mean, we could have a whole podcast on this, what this has done to men and women, but we're three women talking here specifically around, you know, how this, the messages women carry around having to do it all, being athletic, being sexy, being smart, being feminine, being this, being that, plus earning an equal wage and doing everything that men are doing. It's so much and it starts as little girls. I don't think we should be putting children in these situations because your stories are just perfect examples of how it sets them up for these belief systems which become unconscious programs running and they just show up like feelings, feeling like I didn't get it right, feeling like I'm not enough, feeling like I don't belong. Those, Those are actually stories, thoughts, you know, that we, 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 they go unconscious and then we just walk around having all these feelings and then we have to manage that. And then here comes addictions and compulsions and all the things. <laughs> yeah. We've been there, Amy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I, can I just take a moment and say that I've been over here bawling like, listening to your story was yeah yeah I was a little surprised at how I felt too and it also brought up like thinking about my own daughter it was like watching a movie and feeling all those feelings and and having my experience and having your experience and we were all on that field with you like listening to your story was was amazing to hear 
you be able to take us there and walk us through it and identify where things began for you? Like, that was so powerful. Yeah. I was surprised how much I still felt it. And I wanted to ask about that. Like when you have a client in the room and you can see, like, if you saw me, I'm, I'm a little sweaty right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, a little shaky and cold, like, you know, this is a familiar feeling for me. Um, so that's clearly still, still here, like in a, in a big way, it's in my body in a big Mm -hmm. way. Like, what do I, what do we do with that when we just so feel okay. it? Well, actually, this is this is a good segue into explaining maybe a little bit more into internal family systems because you kind of did it there. You, you you gave us a good example. Um, you know, so a younger part came up. We all could you know connect with her. You were feeling it. Then there's another part of you that came online because we're making a podcast here and you're running an interview and, you know, it's like, gosh, I've got this little girl in the field. And, and so, you know, this other part of you comes in. This is a much more sophisticated part that's like needing to manage this situation, right? You're interviewing me and it, um, and, and, and this, this is not a bad part. This is a beautiful part that, that, you know, helps you function in your life. But in this particular modality, he talked, the, the languaging that he gives around it is that we have these exile parts. He calls them the exiles. So we, we could say maybe that little girl on the field has been an exile. And really all that means is that maybe you pushed her away or you maybe felt like you've done some work around it. So, you know, she's, she might be down there somewhere, but um, sometimes it's because it's embarrassing. You know, these parts come up and we feel so insecure and needy. And so we, we tend to sort of push them down. And then these sort of next level of parts that appear in us, they're usually a little bit older and more sophisticated. He calls them the managers. Mm -hmm. And the manager kind of comes in and tries to protect the exile. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just want to acknowledge, like you're doing this work in in front of an audience. So of course, you know, um, this could get a little blurry, but um, Anyway, this is just something to think about that we sometimes we work, we need to actually work with the manager part because it's 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 actually that manager part that maybe doesn't trust us. And that's why it thinks it needs to come in and manage the situation. Um, and and then just to kind of just share his whole. Well, I'm not sharing his whole theory. I would you know encourage anyone to put his name into a YouTube search. He's quite generous with with what he shares but he you know then there's these this next layer of parts he calls firefighters and those are the those are the parts of us um and i know the three of us are very familiar with our own firefighters that will come in online and say okay i'm gonna drink the whole case of beer now or i'm gonna eat that entire bucket of ice cream so in other words when the exile kind of kicks up and then the manager comes in and tries to manage. And now there's just a lot going on in our system, lots of feelings and swirliness. The firefighter might just come in with the fire hose and say, all right, I'm going to put this fire out. And and that we might do, you know, well, there's many ways we can do it with alcohol, with food, with shopping, with, you know, 
some some way of either distracting or um, yeah putting putting out those flames so um, and so Lisa your question is what would I do if you were a client is really just what I did like even though it seemed like we needed to move on it felt really important to just actually stay with that little girl that came that showed up today and and I would just I, I like to have people put their hands on their heart because it's such a self-nurturing tender way of being and and just really you know in our imagination go to that little part or invite that little part to come to us and and just speak to it as you would a child I see you I hear you oh my goodness you feel so much right now you feel this anger people's anger coming at you you just want that grass to swallow you up right we just reflect back to that part what we see and what we hear and and then you know again like a like a kind parent we as you would your own child or your own best friend or you know we just start to comfort and and to speak to this little part and or to the manager um you know of our like hey look i'm an adult now and and i'm never gonna let you be in a situation like that you can trust me I've got this and I love you. Come close. What I get from this conversation too is there's many times that I feel the feeling that I had in my body to a degree. Like if somebody that I really admire comes to one of my classes or if I'm asked to do a a workshop at, at a festival or something, I will have an sort of an echo of how that feels in my body. And so from now on, what I'm going to take from this is that's going to be a clue that she's with me and that it's it's her. Of course, she's reminded of that moment that if she doesn't step up and catch that ball, something terrible is going to happen. And so what what is something that I could specifically say, you know, because she's not always going to catch the ball. Right. And and the, I think you might have just answered it because the belief is her her belief is that if I don't catch that ball, something terrible will happen. If I don't get a phone call from the cheer squad, this means I'm bad or unworthy or whatever, right? What, whatever it is that that this younger part is believing, that's I think where what we want to say. You know what? we're okay. You're safe. Nothing bad is going to happen. You don't have to catch the ball, sweetie. (laughs) You know, um, I think, yeah, yeah, you you already said it so beautifully that it's just exactly what whatever. I mean, if a child said that to you, mommy, if I don't catch the ball, something bad's going to happen, you would say, you know, nothing bad's going to happen, honey. You don't have to catch the ball. Oh, um, I want to be conscious of time and the fact that we had listeners reach out because we shared that we were going to have you on the show and that we were going to talk about our own brands of not enough. And we had quite a few women talk to us about their fear of not being a good enough mother, which uh, Amy and I have talked about. We completely share. And even just my eyes are even more open about the ways in which I projected that fear on onto my daughter I can see you know there there are some places where 
I feel like I want her to come talk to us right now too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so if you could speak to that fear of not being good enough as a mother. And then we also had another one that I think a lot of us can relate to is not knowing enough, not being smart enough. Oh, well, um, I mean, sure. As a mother, I, I definitely can identify uh, with that thought, you know, not, not a good mother, not a good enough mother. And, and there's a lot, again, this, this could be an entire podcast in itself. Um, because that that is a loaded one that again uh, understanding the origins like where did we get this idea that that a mother you know should be all these things notice that we mostly have these things around mothers and not fathers um, it was helpful for me to learn that um, oh I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Freud um, and he did contribute in positive ways for sure to our profession but but he also was, the, the, I, I believe the one who sort of coined some of these phrases around, you know, the overprotective mother, the, the, the this mother, the that mother, like giving, putting these labels onto mothers. So basically, if a child comes in with some sort of problem, the, the doctor immediately looks at the mother to see what sort of mothering, you know, is happening. There, thus, this insidious belief creeps into our culture that then it must be mother's fault. It's always mother. <laughs> we do need to look to the overculture. We need to look to these systems that we're in to understand where we get these ideas. And then we start to do that to other mothers and, and to our own mothers. And, uh, and though I think acknowledging wounding from, you know, our, our caregivers is important as I know that my own children have to acknowledge the wounding that I have done to them. I mean, that that's part of being in relationships and healing, but this, this, this belief that we carry that, that there is such thing as this perfect mother, it's detrimental. And, and I certainly wasted countless amounts of energy feeling bad about my mothering, being sorry about my mothering, uh, beating myself up for my, my mothering. I feel I have a lot of empathy when I, when I hear people speaking about themselves in this way. And I do think we can still connect this, you know, if I'm, if I sit with myself, at, you know, where did I get, yes, okay, so society or, you know, systems maybe has, has, put this out there and also I carry these younger parts of myself and like you guys I have my own stories of times where I, I felt rejected because of the way I looked or the way my voice sounded or my lack of something even in our mothering there are opportunities to to pause and say gosh how old do I feel right now <laughs> I don't feel like whatever age I am, I feel like I'm six years old right now. What happened when I was six? You know, what happened when I was 16? Are there exiled parts of me that just kind of come out as I'm a bad mother or I'm not enough when actually there's a little a little being in there, a little part in there that, that just so needs my love and attention. The not smart enough, you know, the not not knowing enough, like... I think we all see this in in our positions as entrepreneurs and 
people who work with other people when it comes to healing. It's like we always feel like we have to take more trainings, that we have to know more and do more before we feel like we're worthy of doing our work in the world. Um, what do you what do you say to the woman who feels that she doesn't know enough or she's not smart enough? I go back to this idea of where where did we get this notion that um, you know it's all about our intellect, it's all about how much we know. Um, you know, as women, we have we have so many uh, beautiful instincts and intuitions and life experiences and you know, so much to draw on. Uh, but, you know, again, kind of growing up in this overculture that made everything about our intellect, you know, and your test scores and your GPA and uh, um, the, the letters behind your name. You know, again, we're coming back to this a system uh, that really negates the thousands of years where, um, you know, this would be pre-patriarchy where women, you know, were, had all the, I mean, it used to be that women were, were the plant medicine, you know, the, the, the people that carried the medicine and the, all the knowledge of this and, uh, you know, that this has gotten lost in, in the history of the world and, and uh, you know, I know the podcast isn't about that, but I, I just... I think I've been thinking about this a lot, how, how affected we still are, even in our fourth wave of feminism, we're, we're still carrying these insidious beliefs uh, that just need to be challenged so that we can all come back to, you know, uh, celebrating ourselves as wise, the wise, amazing humans, beings that we are. Jody, this has been powerful. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate you walking us through this. Do you have any places of your own where you don't feel that you're enough? Uh, I'm for sure. Um, this has also been my lifelong journey. Uh, and I think the last time I was with you guys, I shared some of that, my story around being adopted and, and, you know, just going through some of my life experiences uh, and certainly came into adulthood with a diminished sense of self. Uh, and, and so, yes, I, I, I do, um, you know, I, I relate to that. And um, more recently at a, at a retreat, I had quite a powerful uh, spiritual experience, I guess you could say, encounter with myself, uh, where I, I, I was really, it was, it was like connecting with this, with this older, wiser part of myself that, that in a very kind way saying to me, you really need to stop being so silly <laughs> with all the thinking, you know, it was, it was kind and playful, but it was also very poignant. Like however many years you have left on this earth, lady, don't spend another minute <laughs> with these sorts of thoughts that, that you're not enough or that you did this wrong or, you know, it was just so clear to me in that moment that I, I, I need to be kind of done with that to, to really get on with this work that I feel called to do, these people that I feel called to love. If you look up the word good in the dictionary, one of it, it, it actually the root, it's interesting, the root is a gothic word, which is God. And so it's sort of funny if you think of it that way, I'm not God enough. Well, that's because I'm not God. 
Mm. And so maybe I could just stop having that expectation. Depending on what your belief system is, I kind of think that also I do have a part of God in me. And that sort of combination of my humanness and some kind of divine spark is absolutely enough to be here on this planet and, and to share what, what I came here to share. I'm, I'm 52, so I'm not speaking so much as a younger woman anymore. And my kids are out of the home. I mean, I had this experience sort of post where you guys are s- still in some of those trenches. Uh, so I hope that, you know, I want your listeners keep that perspective that, you know, if you were talking to me 10 years ago, I would have been saying something different, but that this is kind of where I've landed these days. I I'm ready to sort of get on with it now. (laughs) And I want to highlight that sentence that you just said, get on with it. You and I recently had a conversation and it just occurred to me that I wanted everybody to hear two phrases that you said that I have carried with me which we so often do in wonderful conversations with our with our girlfriends. Um, you said, first of all, that you were ready to just blow away, you know, specific limiting stories that you had carried, that you were just going to blow that thought away. And I have really taken that with me over the last couple of weeks since we had that conversation. And also you did share with me, it's just time to get on with it. And I like that. Yeah, I think it's important to go back and and know where our triggers are and connect with those younger parts of us and do the healing, but also to not be overly attached to those stories and carry them into our present and to remember that all possibilities are there for us, that we can get on with it. Yeah. And yes, you know, I, I certainly don't want to come across here as, as glossing over anything, um, the older I get, I think the more I realize this is simpler than we think, um, though it can, you know, be painful and, and it, it does take effort on our part to, to go and work with these younger parts because I always come back to love that there is a simplicity to it. It really is about loving those parts of ourselves and bringing them home. And, and so, but sometimes when something ha- is sounds easy or it sounds simple we don't trust it because we also kind of grew up in these systems that tell us no it's going to be hard and arduous and you're you know you're going to be pounding away at this for your whole life and though i think it's a life journey uh, i yes i i'm also more persuaded these days that we do our work and then yeah we 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 blow it away and we get on with it we hope that you'll come back several times a year um to share your insights and wisdom with us. And in the meantime, would you please share with our listeners how they can know more about you and work with you and um, your beautiful events? Thank you. Um, well, I you know that I would all happily come back whenever you invite me. I love hanging out with you guys. And um, you can find me on my website, which is jodycron.com, J-O-D-I-K-R-A-H-N. And um, there you'll find my um, way to contact me. And I do one-on-one sessions, both online and in person in the Okanagan. And then I do uh, have offerings that um, I call Gather Her, usually a couple of times a year. And you can just, you know, look on my website or sign up for my newsletter to find out when those events will be. 
Well, I guess I should say I'm on Instagram too, at gatherher, <laughs> gather.her, and uh, be happy to see anybody there. Thank you so much, Jody. This was an amazing conversation. And my, I still feel like my heart's beating out of my chest, but, but thank you for walking us through this. This was, this was very healing. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.